0: Hey, I'm Darrell Etherington, and I'm here on Found with my co-host and my complex and very different and diverse and co-equal peer, who brings a lot to the table.
1: (laughs) Jordan Crook. That sounded ingenuine.
0: No, it's supposed to be genuine, but we had our practice this week on this week's show, and we're going to keep at it because that's the whole theme of it. I feel
1: like we learned a lot. Yeah. Yes.
0: And maybe we'll apply it. I mean... I guess all of our fellow employees at TechCrunch who listen to this are hoping we apply it. That means nobody, nobody's listening to this. We can get away with whatever. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. We're spiraling. <laughs> We're in a death spiral right now. Okay, let's. We're in a
0: death spiral. But listen, let's bring it back to Found, which is what the show you're listening to right now is called. And the reason it's called that is because it's all about founders. And it's all about the companies that they found and the startups that they're building. So you get to hear firsthand from founders about the process of creating a company from nothing and building it up and getting funding for it and doing everything that is a huge challenge for anyone, whether you're a first-time founder or a return founder. And I think the things they share qualify as lessons. I really do think that. But I'm not going to digress too much about this quality of the show because I'm sure you already know how good it is. That would be a first Exactly. I never I never do that. But today is a special episode. They're all special episodes. Today we're talking to Jen Graham from Inclusive, which is an engagement platform that empowers businesses, communities, and individuals to create positive social change through small group conversations. So I think that was one of the big surprising differences for me about this company, was that it's not so much focused on, like, you know, big seminars or, like, company-wide sort of, like, policies around inclusivity, but just like small group conversations. I think she said like, you know, between five or six individuals at a time or something like that. And to really do that ground up kind of change around topics that can be really sensitive and difficult to deal with in the workplace. So let's hear what Jen has to say all about it because she can explain it much better than we can. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, Daryl. So excited.
0: Yeah, we're excited too. So I think the best way to start is if you give us a little kind of rundown of what Inclusive is. That would be the brand name, not just the noun. And <laughs> and you could tell us about how you uh, started the company. Just a little TLDR because we'll get into the long version later on in the show probably. I
2: love it. Love it. Yes. Thank you. So Inclusive is all about bringing people together for conversations that matter. And it's a new name. We were formerly known as Civic Dinners and would love to share the story, the long story there, but really we're all about helping to facilitate small group structured conversations on the most challenging and important topics of our time. And we have a library of over 50 different topics that we've researched and designed for a variety of intentions, whether it's trying to build trust or build a community or if it's about building empathy and understanding, or if it's about mobilizing action around important issues or topics. So we've really helped kind of understand the the psychology of organizing and how to make it more accessible for more people to be able to jump in a topic that they really deeply care about, whether that's mental health or allyship or even women in leadership, and give them the tools to be able to facilitate change.
0: Great. I mean, that sounds like... A lot. I think if I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about, I mean, I don't know, Jordan, if you want to back me up on this, but I have trouble having just regular everyday conversations. So I can imagine facilitating difficult or challenging conversations would be a lot of work, especially if that's your main and only focus, right? Well, that that answers why there's a need for it, because I'm sure tons of people are like me, but
1: I'm definitely like you. I got I I (laughs) yesterday I was doing an episode of Extra Crunch Live and you know, normally Daryl, you know this about me. I do I do everything unscripted, so I'm just going for it, right? And I wanted to ask a question about how sometimes men say I don't know to investor questions. And it's like, Wow, it's a world of possibilities. But like women are afraid to say I don't know, right? And often don't, and when they do are seen as like, Why don't you have all the answers? And I was trying to ask that question. And like, got lost at some point, and just kept talking. And I don't really know how it all panned out. I need to watch the on demand video. But it was one of those situations where it was like, you probably should have thought a little bit harder about what your question was, before you opened your mouth. I think I like blamed the guy. I was like, (laughs) Nick, what's wrong with you? You know, I I don't know. I don't know
2: what happened. So yeah, I'm with Daryl. So just what we've seen what's happened in the last year alone, and how many People are just craving understanding of one another Mm -hmm. and other perspectives, whether it's around COVID or the racial inequity that we see. And managers are being asked that people leaders are being asked to be able to facilitate these conversations with their employees, or you've got even customers and ESG is a whole nother thing where people are asking questions about climate change and what are you doing within your company to be able to do this? So what we need are tools to help bring everybody along and to Create a a, a specific time, space, and place to be able to have these conversations that might open up vulnerability for leaders. Mm. And I think people, also employees, are craving authenticity and uh, realness, not just toxic positivity, but actual realness. And they need to see that from their leaders. And so we, we realize that a lot of people, leaders, just don't even know where to start. How to f- talk about it? They're afraid they might say say the wrong thing, yeah, yeah. And and so we really give them the words, literally, to facilitate these conversations. The, the the scripts with three big questions, and we've already done the the research in psychology to make sure that it'll end on a high note. So because we've all been part of conversations that have gone really, really, really bad, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and how not to <laughs> like end in debate or like he said she said. But it's about kind of first acknowledging the. The importance of creating that brave space so that people feel safe to share what they really think and feel and that comes with ground rules and and then the other part is like having a structured dialogue that weaves in lived experience because there's so much that we can learn from one another if we give each other a chance to share their voice and their perspective and it's really hard to argue with someone's story and then we kind of weave in the kind of universal truths so to speak and then we can get to the commitment, personal responsibility, and action that we can all take moving forward. So we really try to design these conversations in a way that will end positively and and be more constructive and productive.
0: Things you said and they resonate, right? On both sides, like in my experience as a leader in, in workplace environments, but also as someone who has been an employee, right? Like literally, <laughs> this is fine to share this. I've had a call with Jordan where I was like, Jordan, stop! Stop it! I don't want your bullshit corporate speak. Like yeah, I just don't want it. Me. It's not for me. Said, Maybe that's for other people. I, no, do, no. I can't take it. Right?
1: I feel like we have to tell the full story. We were tell we tell to
0: t- go for it. i I feel it, like I'll I'm going to be the
1: truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. You were asking me I'm questions on well. Slack <laughs> on Slack on our corporate big Verizon owned Slack that I couldn't answer you on Slack. So I had to just say the party line. And then we got on the phone and you were like, corporate bullshit. And I was like, well, (laughs) let's actually talk. Like now I can talk to you. Like, okay. Yeah. Which was different. Just so everybody doesn't think he got on the phone with me. And I was like, well, according to... No, no, I didn't
0: mean it. I wasn't going to come out good on this story. I knew that. But I'm glad you really...
1: (laughs) I just had to clarify exactly what had happened but yeah. yeah so we need it is the point
0: I'm, my question there, though, out of it is, is like you were talking about, you provide people the words. And to me, that's been a point of friction and frustration on both sides. It's like, if I hear anything that sounds like it's a script, my back's up. I'm going to get defensive about it. And, I, and I, you know, same for people that I'm dealing with. So, like, how do you kind of mitigate that and go beyond, I guess, what you would find in a typical kind of like HR conflict resolution function, right? Because it seems like you're doing a lot more than that.
1: I instantly think of the notebook in The Office. You guys remember the episode of The Office when he's like flipping through the notebook and he looks for like the win-win-win instead of like the win-win or the win-lose?
2: <laughs> I love it.
1: Nobody knows what I'm talking about? The listeners know. I don't remember. <laughs> the listeners do know.
2: Wow. Well, well, two things. First, the we've been starting to weave more and more of what we call nonviolent communication into our work. So, Which would be the opposite
0: of what I was saying.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, which is is about owning your feelings and it's about owning the needs underneath those feelings. So for example, like, Hey, I'm really um, feeling uh, overwhelmed because I have a a need for order and clarity. And so like being able to train ourselves on self-reflection and to be able to have a place to practice that is what, is what we're creating. And so these, these scripts, so to speak, are basically the framing of a conversation. So, for example, we want to have a conversation around belonging in the workplace. Then we kind of give some inspiring preemptor prose to that. And then we introduce that this is going to be a, a small group conversation with six to eight others in rooms. And so we've been facilitating them pre- pre-COVID. We were doing them in mm. person in people's homes right. and living rooms. And so literally giving them the guide... That walks them through what to do and each step and each round of questions then allows everybody equal time to share with one voice at a time. So usually, you know, two to three minutes that people are being able to answer the question, you know, using the prompts as a way to frame where we intend them to go. Yeah, I think so to that end, like we we are realizing quickly, the, the change in the dynamic over the past year and what companies are really asking for are, hey, give us the tools to be able to facilitate these because our people may not be ready or comfortable yet, even leading these conversations, even if we give them the script. And so we, <laughs> we, we know there's a lot of anxiety around even engaging in these, but the response has been profound when leaders do engage and even when they're willing to participate in the conversation. They are opening up, crying, Mm -hmm. saying things out loud that they've never even said before to their partners. And it helps create that authenticity that we are craving and that realness that everybody, I mean, mental health is the number one issue that people want to talk about in the workplace, but it's still uncomfortable for a lot of people and especially leaders and that balance between work life and accountability and compassion. And we're all drained of, you know, compassion fatigue is real. And, but like, We have to share that and not try to pretend it doesn't exist.
0: Right. If there's a shared acknowledgement that those things exist and that they have changed significantly, especially in the past, whatever, 12, 16 months, like sounds like it would be a mentally cathartic experience.
2: Absolutely. And and even the format itself, um, we just stumbled on this. We had no idea we had created something that was called technically psychological safety, that when you are going around in a in a circle where you have like maybe six to eight people or whatever, if you know that you're not going to be interrupted, but you have a chance to really just speak your mind and nobody is going nobody's preparing their remarks to rebuttal or debate you, they're actually more willing to share and that's it's going to be received and accepted. And that's what people want, to to feel heard, to feel accepted and and to have a sense of belonging within a group and so it absolutely is cathartic and it's almost like a small group therapy in a way where everybody's sharing and we designed it in a way where the first question is more about self-reflection and your past lived experience as it relates to the topic Hmm. and sometimes that's the first time people have actually done self-reflection and others you know may have have already had a catalog of all the stories that they could pull up and they're kind of going through their mental uh, rolodex of stories to pull out and then some are just Thinking of the uh, on the spot. But that piece of self reflection is a huge part of what therapy and mental health is all about, too, for being able to verbally say out loud so that your unconscious hears it.
1: What made you care about this? I feel like there's a story Mm -hmm. there, right? Like there's got to be.
2: Yeah. Oh, man. So when I was growing up, my friends used to call me Mother Teresa. And it was not a compliment. I was the goody two shoes growing up and cared about things that were way beyond my control. (laughs) And I grew up to be kind of a community organizer at heart, because that's what you do when you care about things, you try to organize and rally people around them. And professionally, I had become a designer. My first course at design school. It's called Portfolio Center. Now it's Miami Ed School. But they, the teacher there, she said, your role as a designer is to create a whole new world that doesn't exist, that no one can live without. And it really wow. stuck with me. And that it really uh, made me think deep about what kind of world would I want to create. And I kind of always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. My dad was an entrepreneur. I love the work-life balance, being able to be your own boss and decide what you want to do. But I just knew it if i own my own company one day i didn't want it to create a negative impact on the world so it couldn't pollute mm. or cause you know it contribute to landfill couldn't cause harm so really that left technology choice. it's <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah what can i build um, huh. and it, it really as an organizer so i helped lead TEDx Atlanta here in Atlanta, and I was a transplant. Never, I, I grew up in Raleigh, but when I moved to Atlanta, it was my way of kind of getting to know the the space by helping over a hundred speakers give the talk of their life and talk about how they were helping to elevate consciousness around the issues that they cared about. And I became, as an organizer, like pouring enormous amount of energy into putting on these events that felt like throwing a wedding every three months. And I became more and more frustrated with the fact that I would put on this huge event, train, you know, train all these incredible people to speak and share these ideas, and then poof, they would, everybody would walk away, right. and I'd never know what happened.
0: Jordan definitely feels this pain, but Richard also, who is our director of event oh, program, so I cool. putting all this work in, and then it happens, and then it's like, time to start again. and
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And-
1: Oh, man, I really get it.
2: Ted actually slapped our wrists a little bit when we were organizing, because you're like, oh, can't do audience Q&A, that's against the rules. And so we realized, I was like, well, we've got this incredible audience that we've curated just as much as we've curated the speakers on stage. How do we actually involve them and give them a sense of participation in these ideas? And so we tried to launch like actions, and I started to experiment with salons and even dinners. and. That's really where I, I began to believe that you know, one-way monologue wasn't going to create the change that we wanted to see. No matter who was in the room, you, 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 like, how do you really move the needle? You have to go small. Margaret Mead had it right all along. All you need is a small group of concerned citizens to change the world. Indeed, that's the only way it's ever worked. So how do we think smaller but still be able to allow for scale And to keep the sense of structure, the 18-minute TED talk, you know, like, how do we boil this down into a recipe that can be repeated over and over again no matter the topic? And so that's where we stumbled on this idea of like what we used to call a civic dinner, where it was six to eight people on a single topic with three big questions with equal time to share and one voice at a time. And so that, that, you know, I looked around and I tried to find other tech tools that would help me be able to scale this small group model and nothing existed that would automatically replicate a topic or allow anybody to kind of host their own. And so that's when we decided to build it.
0: If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one year or a two year subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, Follow the links for extra crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe. And then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast during checkout, and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. I want to hear more, Jen, about, about Civic Dinners and what that looked like. Because that you ran it out of Civic Dinners for what, five years five or something? Years. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was that versus what inclusive is now, and then, I guess how did the transition happen? Probably a huge question, but. oh
2: gosh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing though um so civic dinners started in twenty sixteen technically as a as a pilot, and it was a social experiment as it used as a way to try to bring millennial voices into the long range planning process for atlanta and so it started as a way to bring you know, millennial perspectives of what the future could look like and community engagement program that ARC offered. And we were, you know, who knew? We, <laughs> we knew that people wanted to engage socially and they wanted to have fun. And so if we could design it around a dinner and actually have a structured dialogue around topics like transportation and livability and prosperity, we could probably get some really rich dialogue and capture those insights and be able to report those back to our client, the ARC. And so it was a huge success, and actually ARC won a ton of awards because it was the first time government had ever used dinner parties as a way to get feedback from the citizens. And so suddenly we started well, beyond getting...
0: beyond informal. Informal, but, yeah. you're right, informal.
2: <laughs> but nonetheless, still a part of their community engagement. And it didn't replace the other things that they were already doing, but it was a way to really reach a new audience in a really interesting way. And it caught a whole bunch of buzz and PR and suddenly other cities were reaching out saying, hey, can you do this for us? you know, from all over the country and suddenly nonprofits were reaching out saying, hey, we want to rally people around our our topic, whether it was the Sierra Club or Planned Parenthood or Teach for America. And so we decided, hey, nobody's really able to organize around issues and create this small group kind of magic that we had stumbled mm-hmm. upon. So we built Civic Dinners. And the technology was a way to really help facilitate and manage these conversations at scale. So our partners were those who were mostly membership-based organizations and had a group that they were really wanting to engage in a new way. And then Facebook came to us out of nowhere. And they were like, hey, we're trying to engage founders, female founders. And can you work with us to design a separate series? So suddenly it started to be a bridge way beyond the civic realm into conversations around leadership and even identity. And when 2016 election happened, whew, social topics just went everywhere, like around right. women. And w- that's when we reached out, being in Atlanta, um, six blocks from where Dr. Martin Luther King was, Jr. was born. And so we, the King Center was kind of the, the place and um, we developed a conversation in partnership with them called Bridging the Racial Divide, which has, to date, had the most number of conversations, I think, over... 300 times we've had that posted that conversation with thousands of people participating and at a moment when it was crucial for us to have that conversation almost four years ago. And so as we we realized that obviously that there's so much power in food and that used to be part of huge part of our narrative. But as we all know, in 2020 dinner was essentially canceled and there was no way. And when that, when that moment happened, we had already had a contract with Facebook going global you know, in EMEA. And so we were like, okay, we're pivoting to virtual. And we immediately switched our, thank God we had a, a great tool called daily.co that we integrated with. We can still use Zoom. We made it so that you could really insert any virtual platform tool that companies were already using, whether it's WebEx or even Google Hangouts at one point, but you could integrate with anyone by instead of putting in a location for a restaurant or a home or office, you just put in the Zoom meeting link. And, and then the video. Well, thank God, it worked just as well to help create that emotional compassion that we needed, the, the facial expression, the body language that doesn't come across with just voice. And so we, yeah. we really leaned in heavily and it worked. It's obviously doesn't replace the magic that you have when you're sharing a bottle of wine and passing bread around uh, the table, but it has kept us going and growing for the past year.
0: That's great. I mean, it obviously helps not just with dealing with the, the context of a pandemic, but also with the scale right oh, like yeah. you, you mentioned to me and being able to do that so was it something that you had always kind of planned to do anyways and this was just kind of a forcing function or how did that work
2: yeah so i would say we were halfway through tech stars the social impact program in atlanta when COVID happened we were mm-hmm. six weeks through our program and then boom i mean instantly we were all remote thank god though we we still had our client list and and Facebook, as our biggest client at the time, they looked around, they had to throw out their entire marketing strategy and plan. And they were quickly looking for solutions that could help bring people together in a really different way virtually uh, and online across the world. So they looked, we were already a vendor. And so they said, Hey, here's the solution. It apparently went up all the ladder all the way up to Sheryl Sandberg and they adopted it and decided to translate our site into 11 languages. So with Mm. their partnership, they helped us basically make it available. We built out translations across the 11 major languages and um, started operations in EMEA and Latin America. We're soon to be bringing on um, Asia Pacific, but that we spent the summer kind of hunkered down on building the tech and also building a whole new library of series. We had just launched our inclusive series in, in March and it just fell flat because of COVID. But then right. in the summertime, it was incredibly relevant and people were yearning for tools to be able to have conversations around racial equity, allyship, belonging, and partnerships with like Coca-Cola started to pick up where they wanted to bring in celebrities to help just have a conversation and how can we make a difference and using our tool and platform to be able to allow people to host, you know, to navigate and host their own conversations as well as participate in a, in a virtual dialogue as well. So yes, we've, we've seen, it had been on our roadmap, but not for at least another year. And right. it, we never imagined a world where we'd have to flip 100% from in-person to online instantly. But we were able to pull it off within 10 days, thanks to our team. And we had just hired a product manager like the day everything shut down. So <laughs> we, it was our first day. And, so, and you're
0: like, now you're uh, responsible for everything. <laughs> yep,
2: good luck. So we, we huddled in. And thank God. I mean, we also leaned heavily on our mentors through Techstars to help us navigate and yeah but it was rough i'm not gonna lie it was a terrifying moment for me to be like oh there goes the company <laughs> yeah, yeah. but we pivoted and did it and now we see companies that want a hybrid they want the option to be able to host online and in person um, right we've seen that kind of whiplash as we've you know now with the delta variant people were not wanting to talk about online at all and only wanted in person and now you know we're back to back. both. Yeah
0: you mentioned a lot of big clients and I saw the client list on the website too. But like, how do you just to get back to your earlier desire too of like, you know, you want to go and build a company that does good and obviously clients are going to be a mixed bag. Right. But how, the main thing is how do you avoid being for them a sort of like social equity, greenwashing equivalent, right? Like, cause that would to me be like the big Band-Aid. pitfall.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Or just a brand reputation, like a like management sort of like fix, as opposed to a real, significant, substantial fix? Right? Oh,
2: that's such a great question. And <laughs> we, you know, I'm the first to say like, hey, I, we are, we are not claiming to be experts in the diversity, equity, inclusion space. We are simply experts in designing these conversations and we work with content experts to help really build the right sense. We always pilot our conversations to, to ensure that we're aware of any biases that we might even have. And we have a mm. very inclusive culture and we have a very diverse team and we've been intentional about building that team to make sure that we have, we have our own checks and accountability internally. So we are aware of that. And, and we when we vet who we work with, we think about their intentionality. <laughs> what is you know we tend to if they ha- don't we have a checkbox you know do they have a DEI plan if they're trying to do a DEI series where are they on the maturity scale and therefore we can offer resources and if we're if they you know, if they don't have a DEI leader or a plan then we can recommend consultants to work with okay. uh, that we've worked like for, I had amazing breakfast with Jennifer Brown who just wrote the book on an inclusive leadership and she's phenomenal and we're going to be able to hopefully build a partnership and and design a series that where we can. Lean on the content experts, but then pair that with an intentional reflective conversation, because mm-hmm. what we find in the learning and development sector, conferences serve a purpose. And inspiring is one thing, but that's only the beginning of the journey, you know, of uh, even awareness and action and at becoming an ally. You you kind of awaken with that big fact or presentation that you see for the first time, and a new concept is born. That's kind of what we call awareness, and then you move into understanding requires dialogue. You have mm-hmm. to actually reflect your own instance and have a perspective and then be able to listen to other people's perspectives. So that 360 degree understanding of a topic is what we provide in our service. And then we we're starting to build in other tools that will help us get to the next step, which is called commitment, which is about really, you know, after the conversation, we, we it just pains me when I hear people say, Oh, that's just talk.
0: Not action. Yeah. Yeah. I will again go internal. Yeah. Do <laughs> Jordan. it. Jordan, it's not us though. It's our, it's our overlords. But I, I mean, they have had a lot of like these sort of breakout things or whatever, and they'll pop up on the calendar. Safe
1: spaces, safe space.
0: Yeah. And round tables or whatever, but they pop up on the calendar and they don't, when you tend them, they're very like presentation sort of oriented, it seems like. And then every single time that I've joined one of them, there's a whole host of people on the call who are like, you know, this is great, but like, I need action out of it. Like, where's the part where I haven't been advanced in my career for however long and neither has anyone in my particular group or whatever, right? Or anybody that I identify with. So like, those are the things that come up time and time again. And I assume that's that part, right? Like that's the commitment part. How do you kind of like ensure when you're doing the hand, like when you hand off the football, It's weird, weird analogy mixing now at this point. And then they run the rest of the way to the touchdown.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. super weird and very layered, by the way. There's like a lot of nuance in that metaphor. So I well got done. it. My
2: dad, my dad loved football. He bled purple and gold. So yeah. Um, I'd say, yeah, we, we intentionally think about the actions. We bake it into the conversation itself. And so, one also one of my pet peeves is when when I see, especially on LinkedIn, like join us for this conversation, but it's actually like two people on a panel talking. Yeah. That's not a conversation. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm going to call. We it don't out. do that, do we, Jordan? <laughs> Sorry. I don't know I
1: think to be fair we don't have conversation we, we say come hear these people talk we yes, don't say join right. us right. for a conversation I'm like yeah. telling you all you're doing is listening bro so
2: <laughs> yeah and and I think that that's what people are craving is actually a chance to actually participate and have mm-hmm. a voice. And that's what that's what we do. So when we do conversations, we actually make sure that we have breakout rooms and when we're online or self-organized small groups of six to 10 people through the platform. And so that's what the platform can enable. You can have one conversation topic, but you can have infinite number of self-organized events at any time of the day, no matter what time zone you're in and invite people, whether it's public facing or if it's an internal with only employees. And so the point that to you is to answer your question about you know, what happens afterwards? What's the, so what we're really, you know, this final question that we ask, uh, the third question is typically about personal responsibility and commitment and understanding what can they do to help move this forward? What's the one ask that they would have of leadership? What's one thing that they can do to help move that forward? So we're really trying to bring it back to personal responsibility and ownership and empower them with the tools to create the change. And that goes back to our kind of community organizing principles that have been baked in mm. to the design of these conversations that we never want people to leave feeling like they have no hope or they, it's out of their control or they can't do anything about it. But And it's not about pointing fingers either to, to those that have the power. It's about really reconnecting to the issue, building camaraderie around those who are in the conversation with you, feeling like you're not alone, and then feeling... Inspired by the other actions people are willing to take and do, so that even if you don't know what you're going to do yourself, you still hear what everybody else is thinking about doing, and that that alone can be a sense of commitment. So we immediately right after we we send out a pulse, a quick poll or survey, and then we're soon we're about to launch officially a new kind of actions 2.0, um, which will actually track actions and commitments that people want to take, and also our stories feature, which will allow people to really reflect on the conversation and make a specific commitment to what they want to do and be able to share that publicly and to help really get to that. So uh, what, came out of this conversation?
0: I like that. I mean that I've had that reflected in my own experience where like the best conversations I have around this are ones I think in past, I've definitely been guilty of kind of like attending these, even in leadership capacities or not even attending, you know, not even formal things, but like having conversations and then being coming out of it saying like, well, that's good for other people. Or, you know, and like, I hope those people take that to heart. And it's like, wait a minute. But, and then when you get the realization that like, no, wait, like one of the people has to be me and I have to do the things that are available to me, even if it's a limited capacity, but whatever is available to me, I should be doing those things. Right. Like that I think is a real good takeaway. So if you're fostering that and if other people are kind of, and then you see that everyone is taking a personal responsibility and you realize like, if everyone else is, then I should also be like, then that is a in itself a good action to come out of something.
1: Right. I have a question for you, Jen. As a founder who's created this this platform that's all about the way that we connect with one another, right? And the way that we hear one another and kind of you know, changing culture. I know that Daryl and I have gone through this and it was, you know, Daryl actually gave an example of it at the very beginning of the episode where I couldn't really feel like I could have an open dialogue with him the way that I could when maybe we were peers and it's been a pleasure to watch him have to struggle with that on his own. (laughs) Um, But like, do you feel like as the leader of that company and as like the kind of representative for that brand, I mean, like another assumption is that you're a human, right? And like, you don't always say the right thing or you maybe don't always listen with the right intentions. And like, can you talk to us a little bit about that kind of pressure? Because I know we feel it on a really small scale. You stand for this, right? Like, we don't, we stand for TechCrunch and just happen to have to be thoughtful about the way we speak and, and listen. It's actually, like, you know, baked into your identity as well. And so I'm just curious if that's something that you feel pressure about and how you think about that.
2: Oh, absolutely. Every day, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> you know, especially with our name change to inclusive, the I mean, you know, two Vs is about intentionally inviting more voices to the table. And being a white female founder, I'm very conscious of that word and, and what that means and making sure that we are being intentionally inclusive in the own leadership style. And the fact that we have conversations on topics from inclusive leadership to inclusive culture and my team is piloting these like daily. So I'm kind of fretting like, oh gosh, all the things that I'm doing wrong are going to be pointed out. <laughs> but in reality, like I, and I think even to this moment where I was reading an HBR article last night, which talked about it's important for leaders to talk about their fears and anxiety and oh it hit home for me because I I feel sometimes that I have to be the like the one holding the fort down for yeah. everybody to like the one that people look up to for inspiration for vision for purpose and where we're going and kind of keeping the you know ship steady no matter what is happening around us and but I also have been, you know, feeling now that we've got some new people on that have really adapted the nonviolent communication method and, you know, some of that, and also really examining what white supremacy culture does and what that represents, like things like perfectionism, sense of urgency, like all of these things that I'm learning that, oh, that hurts because it's true. And I was like, yeah. okay, how am I really reflecting or at least acknowledging those characteristics in me? And creating conversation around it and being open to it because it's, you know, caught up in my own identity as a leader. Like I do. My biggest fear is failure. I know that I'm an Enneagram 3. We have our whole team do the Enneagram so that we at least are aware of like our greatest kind of our tendencies, especially under stress. And so when I get stressed, whether it's financial or people management, I revert back to fear failure and I want Praise. <laughs> and so I need to know what I'm doing well and how to avoid anything that looks like failure. So I, I find that, you know, in my understanding of what inclusive represents, which is just authenticity. And I think that's what people are craving the most. It's like I have to remember that it's okay to even cry in meetings if I need to and to, to kind of <laughs> understand the stress and to communicate what keeps me up at night while balancing the need for security and safety that others have. So that. that balance of like, having compassion and being real as a human, but also, you know, the fact that I support 30 plus people, payroll and their families. We have like 10 moms and fathers on our team. And so there, there's a lot of weight that comes with being the CEO. I fell into being a CEO. It is the hardest thing. And I, I just, the weight of the responsibility and so I lean heavily on other founders and CEOs to, to kind of help vent and, and, be able to explain things that I can't. I have a leadership coach who's really helped me to like separate myself from the company because I think founder CEOs have that struggle when they have to move from owning this thing that they've worked on for five plus years without funding and bootstrap themselves. And now for the first time, they have goals and metrics that they have to meet and they're expected to hire and expected to spend more than they bring in, which is terrifying for me because so it's like, <laughs> it's like ah, there's no safety net but like just trusting the gut and so I think for me I've just had to redefine failure in order to be just like this is about iteration and we're, we're constantly evolving as a company and as a mission and as a human and I think that's that to me has helped phrase like what we tell our customers that this work is a journey it's not a one-time event. You haven't ever arrived, no matter how much D and I training you do, or how much you know work that you build on becoming a B Corp. You know, there's always more improvement that can be done, and there's always more self-reflection and, and actualization to occur. So I I come at it as like we embrace the nuances. I am starting to be better at showing my own fears and anxieties when it comes to it, but it's it's hard it's not going to last. It's hard. There's a
1: really hard balance to strike, right? Between like I'm an authentic human being who has my own things that are stressing me out plus things about work that could affect you, team, that are stressing me out. But like also everything's going to be okay and I've got it under control, right? right? Like yeah. that that Security balance and safety. is so hard. Yeah.
0: You're very much the reverse of a lot of founders we talked to in that you went from a position. Cause I was looking at your kind of financials on crunch base. I don't know how accurate they are or anything. Right. But like, like you said, it's like, yeah, the first funding is like a precede in 2020 or whatever. Right. So like, yeah, you, you were running it yourself and you mentioned all these clients. So I'm like, well, you probably got revenue and then, and then to go reverse and be like, okay, well now let's start to like pour some of this VC fuel on the fire and really gas it up. But to go from a place of financial responsibility to a place of like acceptable risk, irrespons- not irresponsibility, but a different, I guess, kind of responsibility <laughs> must be terrifying because it's usually the opposite. Usually we get people in hand, they're like, I love burning money. What, bring it to me. I'll burn it up.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget <laughs> the first uh, board meeting that I was at. And I predicted, I was like, looks like we're going to make 50 grand in profit. They're like, Jen, we gave you money. Well. Where are you spending it? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, God. Okay. That's
1: grand. That's, they're like, that's really cute, Jen. <laughs>
2: no. oh, I was looking for my pat on the back. Oh, and instead I got You hey. could buy an
1: Audi with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it is. I mean, that's that's been the real struggle for me is because there's a razor thin line between success and failure when you're in venture startup world. And like... I have seen startups grow too fast and run out of money and I like ah, we're almost like we're close to that runway moment where it's like ooh we got to continue on our revenue bringing in or we're going to have to slow our pace down we've you know, or because we're gearing up for our series A. So, I mean, yeah. we were prepared in October to launch our series A and we're looking great. Like we finally got all the integrations up, SaaS optics, like all these things that I never even knew existed you know, before <laughs> a year ago. Um, it's like, it's fine. Like the engine is running and we've got our sales team, our marketing team, our CS team, like all of the things that I had never even dreamed of when I created this idea yeah. are being implemented. And we still have a ton of processes and you know systems that still need to be built and created so it is feeling like you're building and working on the plane as it's in the air because you have live yeah. clients that depend on you for this and plus
0: with the like situations fluctuating so much so dramatically and you're like well we can do this we could do hybrid and which how do we how far do we tweak the balance and you don't know day to day right <laughs>
2: And we're B2B, but we're technically kind of b 2 b to c And now we're starting to roll out a subscription model that might be B2C. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. we, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there are a lot of things that we're still testing. And we know what works well, but we also, we are honing in on the needs because the needs of our clients are changing yeah. on on so frequently that what worked a year ago isn't isn't working maybe as or resonating with their needs like facilitation training is becoming a new thing because so many of our potential clients have asked for that so we're training the trainers we're building our own kind of like book a facilitator so like you, you can call an uber you can call a facilitator and have them join so we're building the infrastructure to be able to recruit and train facilitators all around the world and you know we have companies saying like here we gave you here's everything you need to be able to facilitate these conversations in your company And they're like we still don't want to do it. Can you do it for us? <laughs> so we're starting to like think about the infrastructure necessary to really help facilitate this and have even journeys that we just want a, a vehicle, something, a program that we can send our employees to. And so that is a, a whole new thing that we're rolling out called journeys. And we're starting with the inclusive journey. And then we have the sustainability journey because ESG com- you know, companies that are focused on that really are craving ways to educate their own. Employees and customers and suppliers on the effects of climate change and, and daily actions that can be implemented. So we have kind of inclusion and sustainability and leadership tracks that they can just send their, send their people to. So it's like the lowest effort, but the highest engagement and reward versus those like Facebook that want to really manage their own. They just want, you know, right. they're using the platform and they're organizing and they've got their own organizers all around the world doing it. So it's kind of like, Two main options of pay per seat. Both
0: ends of the spectrum. Right?
2: Yeah. Or enterprise, which is it's a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. But I think, I mean this is the part of the show where I just kind of reassure the founder that they have a good idea, but like it's great and it's going to be essential. I think the the grand arc of like especially corporate life or whatever is towards this and towards this being a necessary part. And because people say, well, you know, there are things, there's two kinds of things, right? There's trends that kind of like have a surge and then a, and then the opposite reaction over time. And then there are things that kind of like become more and more immersed in the culture and then are just natural like this is a natural part of going to work and I think this is the latter and the main reason recently that comes to mind is like the base camp thing I think the base camp thing was a great proof point testing point of like this is not something that goes back the other way like you don't have a reaction to this particular action which is a greater awareness greater awakening greater sensitivity among employees like that there's no putting that genie back in the bottle and base camp learned that the hard way and then maybe other companies will learn it not so hard, but
1: <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like you have a real like grasp on all of your levers too, right? Like which I think is when you say you're heading into your series A, like more important than your fifty thousand dollars, I think, is like the ability to pull those levers and know like, okay, we're we, we are like ear to the ground for our users and we're making those changes and we can do it pretty quickly, right? And we can make those decisions pretty quickly and kind of like keep the the plane in the air, and I think that's what resonates the most with investors. If we're in the reassuring phase of the podcast, thank you. I really <laughs> need some praise and
2: reassurance. <laughs> <laughs> oh will not fail. <laughs> <laughs> we can't go down. I mean, I can think about it. I mean, the, I I feel so strongly like this is what the world needs right now, and I think that added pressure. But when when we did our rebrand to inclusive. I was shocked at the caliber of people that I had invited thinking like, ah, they're not going to be able to come or they're busy. They showed up and they were so proud of the progress and, and just like cheering us on and just, just blown away by the progress that we've made in the middle of a pandemic. And I was like, oh gosh, yeah, you're right. I keep thinking like this is business as usual, but the fact that we grew from five to 30 in a year during a pandemic that I, I birthed a child in the middle of all of this too. And that we have over a million in ARR now. Like I, did, I didn't even know what that was. Two right. years ago. So, um, I feel, I, I think it's, it's hard for founders, especially those with really high ambitions of what I want to see and knowing that I've been working on this for over five years. So it's like what I, it's, it's starting to actually happen. And I, I just, you always want things to happen faster than they are, but being re- in reality, yeah, we're doing good work. And that's what I want to continue. And I think we've been able to attract the most incredible talent. And I believe that's because of the mission. It's not because of me. It's, it's because of the purpose and that people care and want this to succeed. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. It's trying to, I'm just the midwife trying to birth this incredible thing and bring it to as many people as possible and it's going to require a lot of talented people to make it happen.
0: Okay, so that was our conversation with Jen from Inclusive. So, Jordan, what do you think about that? I th- I know I went into it thinking I'm going to get a thick tongue through this. I'm going to have I'm going to stumble over my thoughts and words and it's going to be tricky to talk about because that is the whole point of her business. But I feel like Jen is great at this and really made it easy to talk very openly about these topics even in the context of our podcast let alone with the company she works with
1: yeah i mean i definitely at one point we talked about like the pressure she must feel right if you're like leading the charge on difficult small group conversations around topics that are hard to talk about right especially like in a workplace setting the pressure she must feel to kind of like with her own words and she talked a little bit about that i thought that was pretty cool i also felt like You know i feel like for so so many years and like almost more in the last year after everything that happened last summer with black lives matter it's almost felt really kind of like taxing to hear so many words and not actions we had a conversation about this during the podcast right and i felt like okay one more but the more i thought about it the more i listened to jen the idea of doing this through small groups in a way that is scalable seems really like powerful, right? And like, I think that you can't really, if it's like a hearts and minds game and that is where everything kind of like flows from, then that's how you do it, right? Is like with open dialogue, with being vulnerable and learning and understanding other people and sharing your own opinion and kind of like evolving your own opinion based on what you hear. It didn't feel, I, I think this is kind of like first of its kind and that there hasn't really been a model for it, right? So I think it's, I I, I I kind of came around, you know, to to this idea of the course of the episode. And I think what she's doing is really cool. I think I, I would be interested in trying it. I wonder if we could just do me and you in one of these. Mm. Cause we need work.
0: Yeah, we could ask her for a freebie. That's, I think that's fine, right? We can do yeah, that. Like but... We
1: haven't perfected our nonviolent language between the two of us no
0: yeah. no that's true that's fair as we talked about it on the show yeah but i yeah i agree with you on all that and i think one of the as you were just talking the thing that struck me about the episode was we didn't at no point did we talk about kind of like consensus building which is what i think a lot of the old methods of kind of doing this would have hoped to achieve from an end goal right but if you're doing small groups you get a diversity of opinion and you're not aiming for like a one universal kind of like this is how we, as a company, all feel about this thing, right? So it's it seems a lot more inclusive that way too. But I was also she brought up the term toxic positivity, which is not something I had heard before. It's probably because
1: I think it's relatively. New. I'm a
0: toxically negative person. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: Toxic positivity <laughs> is so far away from you; it can't even see you. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I know what she's talking about because it's that thing of like an incessant an unrelenting like things are going to be great everything's good like, like, never give keeps-
1: up what doesn't kill yeah. you makes you stronger it's like no you should give up on some things right like right or you yeah. can do anything you put your mind to like i'm never ever ever gonna be a professional golfer no matter how much i put my mind to it it's just not gonna happen i'm too old right so like that's a stupid well, thing to say
0: i mean it, it could happen what if there's a traditional golfing you are that-
1: being toxically positive right now. What if there's a a bunch of professional
0: golfing tournaments happening at the same time, professional and semi-pro, and then a weird universal freak storm hits and kills all the people playing on all those tournaments at the same time. Oh (laughs) my
1: god, okay. We're back to toxically negative. Wow. What a roller coaster ride you just took us on. Okay. (laughs) That's weird. Besides the point. Weird place to go. (laughs) You were talking about how she talked about toxic positivity, and then what happened?
0: She's very candid about like how to address those and address those things head on and how to like turn conversations that are facilitated into something that are still authentic that still have like like because i was worried about that too and i brought it up about scripts i don't like the feeling and i think a lot of people balk at the feeling that something is like a scripted sort of like delivered thing right that is prepared and then provided to you yeah but yeah the conversations part is key here and it was not an element that i necessarily the thought was that important just having studied the company beforehand until actually talking to Jen and then it made sense like yes they really do have conversations right
1: at the end of the day it's about honesty it's one of the things I mean as we noted in the episode you and I have had our scripted quote moments but I think at at our base and at our core of our relationship we've been very very honest with one another I think it's something that we're lucky to have at TechCrunch in general I think we're generally Mm -hmm. pretty honest about what's going on in our lives and are able to have tough conversations and I realize that that's A place of privilege that we're in, but I think that has to start with a conversation and not with like a like you said like a seminar or. And I I really really liked what she talked about with how it feels to be a leader and to try to practice that same kind of honesty. Yeah, because it on the one hand you're trying to balance making sure the people who work for you feel like you have strong hands on the wheel like their
0: lives have stability exactly
1: you know what's going on you've got it under control everything's fine but also being able to be human and let them see your humanity and i i wish that we had talked to her more about how exactly to do that right like how exactly do you balance that i hopefully some of the listeners can call into our little hotline maybe and help us figure that out because yeah i'd love that's to a know good cue
0: call us at 510-936-1618 and tell us how to expose your vulnerability to your colleagues and employees i think we're going to run some experiments here we'll let you know how it goes i'm just going to drop into the all tc company-wide slack channel and <laughs> Let's just share a picture of me uh, tearing my hair out and bawling. But I'm close. I'm close. Let's see. We'll see what happens. Teetering on the edge. Well. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor, Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor, Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ishad Kulkarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall, and Maggie Stamets is our Associate Producer. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovan. Our guest this week was Jen Graham, founder and CEO at Inclusive. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also leave us a voicemail at 510-936-1618 or email us at found at techcrunch.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.